Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. I have the privilege to, uh, for my second time now, having... Um, Brad Jerzak, join. Brad, thank you so much for taking the time to come speak with us today. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I appreciate it. I would uh, give your introduction, but by way of saying, if you haven't heard the introduction, just go back to the last podcast, which was wonderful, and you'll learn all about Brad there. Brad, today we are talking about your new book, and by talking about it, really, the idea where this book came from. I think that to me is, I don't want to even really talk too much about the book as much as saying people should go buy it, right? Called Out of the Embers. Um, and we've talked a bit on the podcast with various guests on deconstruction. I've talked to you know, someone who is an atheist or maybe just is kind of in a, in a space where he doesn't really claim anything. Uh, but that was a product of his deconstruction. We've talked to people who have deconstructed and stayed in the faith and found different pathways within faith. Um, but I'm really interested in your story here with this text and why you felt the need, and we'll actually just start here in this big deconstruction word. Before even defining how you define deconstruction, why did you feel the need to write a text on deconstruction in this space that this word has become, I don't want to say a buzzword, but, you know, hot topic altogether. Yeah. Um, so for me, just about everything I write has a pastoral concern underpinning it. And this is no different in that sense. So first of all, I'm watching something that looks like it's become a movement now that is a, a really big tent, but it gets reduced. And the reactions to what seems like a movement um, uh, feel unhealthy to me. And so, for example, I'm going to say that deconstruction is, is a very broad term that can include everything from involuntary to voluntary, from liberating to traumatizing, hmm. from theological to experiential. And all of this gets bundled up in that word deconstruction. And I kind of flinch when I use it, but at the same time, it's like, okay, if we're going to talk that way, let's think about how people are experiencing it and responding to it. And so the two kinds of responses that prompted me to write the book, one would be from what I call the hand-wringing pastors who see deconstruction as backsliding mm, and are wow. hoping to gather the people back in the door who've been leaving and 
And all that does is it, they just double down and, and maybe right. they're leaving for a reason, you know? On the other hand, I'm seeing those who who are cheering it on, and I, I would call them like the happy, clappy deconstructionists who are saying, this is the greatest thing, empty the pews, burn it all down, follow your heart, do whatever you want. And um, and and so it's especially memeable and and <laughs> right. and um and what but what I get is DMs from folks who have experienced the the complexity of deconstruction and especially uh traumatized versions of it where um where they have lost more than they bargained for and so let's say i left the church but i won't leave jesus okay well and i'm not so sure about jesus but i believe in love well actually love doesn't win anyway wait a minute i'm bereft (laughs) right Right. And and then like almost um, sinking some of the, the those who who either sink in all the way into nihilism, which we can't actually function that way for any length of time. But I get I get those messages, and others who did just kind of a half-assed job of it, where it's like it's this trendy thing you do, and now oh, hang on, my family, I've lost my church, I've lost my family, I've lost community. I uh, I don't know where to turn. So I'm <laughs> I'm wanting to not just come to those kind of people with answers. I want to come first of all with empathy and yeah. say I'm hearing you. I realize the pastors aren't hearing you. This is much deeper than doubt. This is much more important than backsliding. And the deconstructionists aren't hearing you. They're like yeah. They've got their pom-poms out, but you've been hit by a train. Yeah. And there's blood everywhere. Like, so how, you know, can I come alongside and first of all, just say, I hear you. And now let's walk together and see, see what's beautiful about this. So at one point I had actually called the, uh, the, the subtitle got changed, but I, I thought about it as, as the, the necessity and the perils and the possibilities of deconstruction. Yeah. So that that's what motivated me that, you know, it's and you you tell me and this is a bit of a generalization, but it's interesting that you kind of pair them into these two groups, right? The the pastors who are doing whatever they can to keep the people in the door. And often for very good, you know, they have good reason, they have good desires, right? Like, I don't want to see you, whether it's depending on which tradition, I don't want to see you burn in hell. I don't want to see you, whatever it is, right? They want it. They want to keep them in some maybe more nefarious. And I like your tie dollars and your butt being in the seat. Yep. Um, and then the happy clappy, you know, that other kind of group, often it's, it's a um, hurting people, hurt people reality, right? Like, like, happy, I don't know, this is just me, but even in my own experience of deconstruction, there was no ground to turn to that wasn't come along and deconstruct and and i'm I, i'm pushing you towards your deconstruction right mm-hmm. like i want you to have this but only because they were still hurting from their own yeah and right? and often still sounding very evangelical about it so now <laughs> right. well i remember right. my deconstruction and then you have to give a testimony <laughs> and, 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 a, and a good testimony is yeah. like, we've tied off this ribbon and now I'm free. And it's like, wow, this almost sounds like when you're baptized <laughs> and, and maybe for some, it is, this is yeah. the crazy thing, right? Is, is, is that like, wow, this has been waiting to happen. 
And what if it's not just about losing faith, but what if it's about losing the hindrances to faith? Hmm. Like, so, so for example, health. Yeah, I was going to say, let's, let's <laughs> follow through with that idea, because I think that's a great... Sure. So I went through, I went through both of what I've described, voluntary, involuntary, liberating, and traumatic. So when I started looking at um, the theological damage done by retributive theology that created alienation and fear, and as actual, it was actually driving people away from God, and then you begin deconstructing that. So retribution, um, I saw the damage done through penal substitutionary atonement mm -hmm. doctrines. I saw the damage done through a gospel of ultimatums with eternal conscious torment um, as the hammer. And I'm like, okay, so if we deconstruct that, we're, I'm, I'm actually trying to... Um, to remove the hindrances uh, toward people coming to faith. And I'm trying to, I, I was doing a little hand-wringing, saying, we've got these people who are renouncing their faith because of doctrines that I don't even think are true. We yeah. At least let's double-check whether they're deep, right. real killers. And yeah. when I wrote Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, that's what I was doing. I was like, let's double check or stricken by God was let's double check on whether penal substitution is actually the gospel or not, because it's making people crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so on. Yeah. That's, you know, that's really interesting, you know, and for myself, just because I'm, I'm currently teaching a, a course uh, called the personal work of Christ. And, <clears throat> you know, we're in this section now about propitiation and trying to talk about what that is. And, you know, my question actually to the class is, do we even need, is, is propitiation the way that we talk about even theologically helpful, let alone correct? Like right, this right. God is angry at us. And of course the byproduct is, well, no, no, not at us, just at our sin. Well, sin is not a thing, yeah, right? It's, yeah. not, it's not an object to be angry at. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I, I feel like for some, the idea of deconstruction is really saying I've made an idol out of a bunch of ideologies about God. And maybe they don't have the language to say that, but it's kind of that, that double checking. Is that yeah. actually the God that I think I serve? Or is that the God that the church gave to me or, you know, my own experiences created, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, I would say then deconstruction, if we think about constructs and, and, interrogating constructs or ideas or notions of God, which are not in themselves God, then this is not a new movement. This starts, in, and I'll say so in my book, it starts with Moses and the golden calf. <laughs> yeah, right? And they have constructed an idol, and they actually declare, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. And he's like, no, it isn't. And then you get, similarly with the early church fathers, they will they will say this, that... that um, our ideas of God are not God, and those ideas can quickly become idols. And so one of the favorites they pick on, many of the fathers, East and West, over centuries, is this idea that if you, uh, it, it, to describe God, we have to use anthropomorphisms. But when you do, if you literalize them, you are creating an idol and probably yeah. a blasphemy. So just today I was reading Isaac of Syria saying this very thing. He's like, look at if you 
attribute retribution to the nature of God. If you if you interpret those scriptures that describe him as angry, literally, you are blaspheming. You know, so he's what is he doing there? He's deconstructing. He's looking at the construct and watching it how it becomes an idol that actually leads us astray from the true and living God. Yeah, that's really it's really interesting, mainly because I want to bring a charge against the idea, not my personal charge, but just things mm -hmm. that I hear, right? Because mm -hmm. um, I want to hear what you'd have to say, right? So many times, I mean, I, I had a dean one time that as I was literally talking about our millennial and Gen Z students deconstructing and, and, and they were actually looking for help, right? Yeah, Amongst yeah, the deconstruction, yeah. right? Like, they weren't looking for the pithy, no, no, here's the right answer. They were looking for, okay, let's walk down this path, right? Mm -hmm. Who literally said, no, 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 you have to land the plane, right? Like you have to land it uh, and you have to give them something to hold on to that is this, right? And, and there's such a charge against deconstruction that would kind of say, well, even if it's you have to land, uh, sorry, land the plane somewhere or sometime, right? it kind of views deconstruction as this very bad thing. And then the good thing is the island that you can kind of hop off of. Right, right. right. So part of the question for me then to ask people who are smarter than I is to say, if we take away to some degree that kind of ideal uh, ideological view of God, that we create God into these idols by our platitudes or our beliefs or our doctrines or dogmas, what do we hold on to? And I think that's the charge that so many people who are going through deconstruction or who are afraid to deconstruct, they don't really know in that time, okay, what can I hold on to amongst deconstructing? Yeah. Well, and, and one of those, one of the constructs can be my own projections, right? So now, okay, so now I'm going to be hard on the deconstructionists for a moment. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all right, um, yeah, just be free, just, just do whatever don't let anyone tell you what to do and and just fly and so they they it's like they cut they cut the string of a kite and i'm getting a lot of the dms are from kites that crashed into trees hmm. and they're like what and so that i am convinced that that we need an anchor yeah and i'm also convinced <laughs> that that anchor is a person and so that brings me back to the incarnation just as it did basil the great and all these deconstructionists from the fourth century who said god is not even a being among beings god is a beyond being god is existence it's a, well, what does that mean it's like well it means he's not this not that he's ineffable he's incomprehensible he's and all these in words are negative theology right, right. he's not that thing and then they're like, but but we we don't just cut the kite string, and we need God to self-disclose, and He has, yeah, and He's dis self-disclosed as uh, as uh, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, where, and so at the end of the day, I'm still a Jesus guy, um, but and what what some of my friends who've who've kind of deconstructed are like they they've just lost Jesus. I'm like, well, that, what happened that you didn't meet him? Hmm. How is how could you be raised in a church? What a disservice to someone if a church raises someone in an orthodox doctrine of Christology and yet never facilitates an encounter with the living one. Yeah. And then if well, then of course you should leave. <laughs> but could we consider um 
could we consider the possibility that this God is still willing to self-disclose and how so and yeah. where? Yeah. I, I like I like that a lot. And if, and if I put it into my own experience, right, mm-hmm. this, you know, because in some sense, what you're saying is that there has to an encounter experience of some way, right? Like in experience in my Pentecostal upbringing was, you know, the holy rollers and literally seeing someone laid out in a aisle, like nowhere near anyone else, but look like they got hit by a truck, right? Like yeah. that kind of stuff. But that those encounters for a time my deconstruction made me ask the question, were those real? Yeah. But what exists in that deconstruction wasn't the giving up of the encounter, but rather the better language that I can now use to describe the encounter that probably still fails on multiple different levels, but I'm okay with the fact that my language can change about the encounter, but the encounter has stayed the same. Yeah. Right. Um, To which it's as I've, even described in this podcast before, it saved me as a Pentecostal because now I had better language to talk about these amazing encounters with the person and work of Christ and and with the spirit that I didn't have to use language that didn't add up anymore or, or didn't work. Yeah. I had new language to describe it without getting rid of the experience or the encounter. Yeah. I love that. And, and yeah, we, and to broaden that out so that, so always like when Jacques Derrida, the philosopher who really coined deconstruction in the, in the modern era, I mean, he was always looking at like, what does, what is the language we do use do like how to, what kind of power dynamics are imported in the very language? How does the language limit us or how does the, so so what you're describing as well i had this language and it wasn't working for me so and what what i didn't need was to expunge myself of an experience of god what i needed was just better language that would retrieve it in fact right so uh people like you know fleming rutledge i saw her talking about this on twitter so here's an here's an elderly um preacher i don't know what she is episcopalian or lutheran high church though and, and she had a recommendation I've really taken to heart. She said, you know, when you use the word encounter, some people think you mean dramatic encounter, and they again reduce it. Yeah, right. And she uh, she proposed the language of, of a living connection. And I really huh. like that because yeah. right away then, I remember the living connection that embedded itself in my heart on the night when I was six years old and I as a Baptist, invited Jesus in my heart. And when I talked to him, it it landed. That landed, you know? Yeah. Um, I remember ex- encounters in, in the, the 90s renewal that were very dramatic and in some ways quite silly, but if I could look at the fruit of it, was there the fruit of transformation? Yes. Oh, okay. So something real, there's something real happened there. And now also just, you know, in 12-step recovery with people who don't even uh, identify with Christian faith, where I'm seeing real transforming encounters with a God they know is alive and in them. I'm like, that's interesting. And if Christ needs to come to them anonymously because his name has been smeared by Christians who've used it, then wow, that's that's very canonic of him, very humble, very, mm. and uh, but I think that's the key for me is is, is um, the, this kind of the deconstruction can lead you there. 
not yeah. it's not just about exercising you of uh, right. of your the reality of god it, it it for isaiah it was about removing boulders on the way there yeah so. i really love that language because it, again just it, it's so easy right it's our own context but growing up in a pentecostal space it was very drilled into me you know that high church is dead that you won't find god in in your catholic churches or your anglican churches or you know because it's all dead nothing's there right and and yet one of the best encounters whatever language we want to use to that i've ever had was sitting on uh in covid lockdown sitting at my counter mm-hmm. with bishop ed gunger and some some great folks yep. and just doing some liturgical the book of common prayer just doing that together was more of an encounter than i had experienced in pentecostal churches in 10 years wow right that's good news right because it's and not exclusive was, then right right that was more formational in my life with christ than anything i could remember in quite literally 10 years mm. of being a Pentecostal mm. in Pentecostal churches, which had to, again, there, there's that narrative, right? It had to rewrite that narrative. Wait a second. This thing that I've always been taught, actually, it wasn't making sense. I experienced this, and now I've got new language to describe, again, to not disown my own Pentecostal, but to also recognize there was also something else that often was disbarred from my own faith, but now it's actually an active part of the faith, right? Yeah. In the Orthodox Church, we say, um, we don't, we will say this, we know where salvation is, <laughs> at least we think we do, right? But, <laughs> but then we'll also say, but, and, but we don't know where it isn't. And that means huh. that God, God is free to show up wherever God so pleases. And that includes, I think, to people uh, who cry out in desperation and he hears the cries of their groanings and he comes down and they didn't say the magic prayer. They didn't yeah. even have a good understanding of him as if I do. <laughs> You're no, right. I've just said he's ineffable and incomprehensible. And the, o- the only image I have him, of him is a beautiful and, and full image. And that's the, the, the cruciform Christ. But, you know, uh, as if I have a monopoly on on the idea of God, much less the experience. So it's very wonderful when you, when God surprises us with these um, grace encounters, just where you least expect them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you're talking to someone and, and again, I'm going to just encourage, especially anyone going through deconstruction, or if you're in either of those camps uh, and, and trying to save someone from deconstruction or trying to, uh, save them through deconstruction, whichever we want to say. Um, when you're talking to someone who's kind of in that middle space, who's the the kite let loose, slams into a tree. Where do you where do you guide them? I mean, I'm sure there's people who are listening to this podcast who are that kite right now that has been cut loose. Yeah, but but to say you know, well, we've got Jesus, sometimes doesn't necessarily kind of that saying, of course. No, that's the deconstruction, a, right? That's exactly true. So um, the first thing I do is I I, I want to listen to their story. Mm-hmm. I want to listen really carefully. I want to I want to listen long <laughs> to their story. I want to validate. I want to validate the the feelings in their story, even if I I'm aware that their their narrative probably needs deconstruction. They always do. But if I can just listen and then 
and 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 then maybe the next thing is i can i can listen for connections where where have they connected i do have an agenda in it and that is where they are experiencing alienation that's probably why they're telling me about it hmm. where they're experiencing alienation how can I bring them back into communion? And I don't mean back to their church or back to their previous ideology or their previous doctrine, but the, my Godfather, and we have a chapter on this in the book uh, called, I think, Fridays with Godfather. And he just says, look at the kingdom of God is presence in communion. Be present to someone. And for him, communion means ex that there's an exchange of grace. And that grace can simply be listening and, and helping people to identify where, where those connections still exist, where they might find them, how they can practice presence, um, to be present to others and, be, and, and experience others as present to them. So th that's kind of the um, you know, conceptual idea, but I'll, I'll tell you an actual story then that, um, that will clarify so I was I was talking at a church in Toronto recently, just like they set up an evening thing to promote the book, and we sent out stuff by social media, and all sorts of people showed up who have nothing to do the, with that church. And we did a we did a Q and R time. Uh, half the meeting was Q and R, and someone said, "Look at I I was a major worship leader in an international ministry, you know." I heard afterwards we're talking about, you know, crowds of five or 10,000 and this yeah. person's on the stage, right? And they're in the thick of it. And everything just started unraveling. And a lot of what unraveled was, was um, uh, this person's observations around hierarchy, hierarchy and the misuse of power and um, what was experienced as spiritual abuse and, and being used for a, a movement where she didn't think something authentic was happening anymore. And then she said, so like what I need, what I need is I'm paraphrasing her by the way, but I, you know, she was looking for something she's now missing that she doesn't want to experience in that culture anymore. Mm, so yeah. she's missing this experience of God. She's missing the, she, she doesn't want that in christian terms she doesn't want it in a christian community and even the name jesus had now become toxic for her and but here she is at the meeting i'm like it's very interesting that you've come to the meeting and and so i tried to explore when do you experience the kind of presence that you've missed and she said well you know when i'm singing <laughs> i'm like so huh. Yeah, but I don't want to sing to that culture anymore. I'm like, okay, but so what's that like? And she says, sometimes when I sing, I just weep and I feel, I feel held. And hmm. I'm like, okay, what if, what if you just don't even worry about where this is going to end up, but just start by, just play your guitar and pray this, um, to the to the one who comes to hold me. Hmm come hold me you know and and start there so uh, what am i doing well i'm i'm looking for something that was authentic that survive can survive the deconstruction yeah 
when the stuff that needed to go did go. But she ended up jettisoning everything. I, I liken this to a mastectomy where we know there's a cancer mm-hmm. and someone needs to have a breast removed, but you don't know how much of yourself you're going to lose. Yeah. So it's necessary, but also perilous. So for her, she had lost more than she bargained for. And she, and now she's like groping for something. And I think, okay, let's just remember what you do have. And now let's fan that, fan those embers back into a flame. And, and that's as far as I could take it with her. And, and it, I could see people were very moved by the idea that, that um, it's possible to work with somebody who's not able to encounter God in, in a Christian uh, culture, but really believing God will meet them. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's, that's really beautiful, especially in the recognition, for me, in the recognition that each of these stories are something different, which means they each need something unique. Yeah, every in, story. In the discussion, right? Because now we're going to talk about that other group. Or I'm going to ask about that other group anyways, mm-hmm. one of the other groups. Because, you know, I think that there is this thing, you see it all over Facebook. I mean, so many pastor friends uh, on Facebook will write something about coming back to church and how you can't be a Christian and, and leave the church and, you know, all these things which often come off very much like a, uh, again, come back and sit down in my church and also help pay the bills because the tithe's not going well. Mm-hmm. So come back. Um, where f- one of the things I experienced was the absolute worst thing anyone could ever do for me in my time of dark night slash deconstruction, these kind of things that happened kind of probably because of each other in some degree, um, was to quote scripture at me. Someone who had multiple degrees and knew the scripture at least could recite those same things. It was the absolute worst thing anyone could do. It made me more resistant or Mm. more upset or more hurt in so many different ways. So for that group, those, those pastors, uh, wanting to speak to those who are leaving because of deconstruction, what would you say to them? Right? Yeah, I would, I would come alongside them. So here's another actual story. Actually, I'm conflating a few because it happened repeatedly, especially a while back where, um, where, the person themselves was concerned. They're like, I just feel darkness. I feel absence. I come to church. I don't feel the presence of God. It feels like you're teasing me with it. And then you don't deliver it. And then, mm. and, 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 as, and I don't even love, I don't even love God anymore. And where does that leave me? Meanwhile, there's a tear rolling down their cheek. Yeah. Over and over. And I'm like, if, if you don't care anymore, tell me about this tear. Hmm. and they and and they do and then you know whether there's a tear or not it's like i i hear a deep integrity in that question so as a pastor and i was a pastor at the time 
I had just read Dark Knight of the Soul by John of the Cross. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? This this might feel like you're losing your faith. Um, but this is the tradition that at some point God takes us in his hands and it's and 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 we're inside the closed fist of God where it's dark and there's pressure and we can't feel and 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 what if it's the safest place you've ever been? Huh. Yeah. And and what if the the doubts and the questions um are welcome? And what if the darkness is a sign that you've you've progressed past the milk of the word and and sort of the the hype of you know our early faith into something deeper and richer could that be possible and it was like doing taekwondo where i took mm-hmm. the energy of their deconstruction and welcomed welcomed it and welcomed them into this deeper place and for yeah. some it really it really was quite profound and um so that instead of fighting them on it and resisting them on it you know i learned this from the dog whisperer <laughs> is like if you're if you it's going to sound bad because i'm comparing it to walking a dog but you'll you may get the point when we pull back on a leash the dog it energizes the dog to run away yeah and to pull against it when you lift up on the leash um all that the energy just kind of drains from that and so my i'm going to use me as the dog as an example i've i have when dog when when god when dog dog church (laughs) dogmatics no um when you know when when god lifts us up um instead of applying just the the pressure of a controller or someone who's coercive who want who as if he would violate our agency that's just not who god is but as pastors it's tempting to be that yeah but if if we're someone who lifts up someone's chin and looks them in the eye and says your your journey does is not a threat to me i care about you and i care about your questions and if your questions cause you to follow jesus right out of my church then i will help you (laughs) and um without the marginalization without the threats but and at the same time i'm like but you know what like i do worry about the alienation so if if you need to exercise your freedom beyond this fellowship let's at least strategize for after your detox what kind of community would be helpful for you yeah i again i really like that partially because it it demands of our pastorate to be shepherds of people mm-hmm. versus talking heads on a stage, mm-hmm. right? Um, and actually kind of talks about, you know, you're not going to save someone from deconstruction because you gave a good sermon. Right. Right? Like, it's from spending time, like you've, like you've said, and it's from listening, and it's from shepherding through that without the end goal being, but you have to be back here every Sunday at 9 a.m., and this is where you have to be. Yeah. right it is a challenge too to to say okay then tell a better story too like hmm. if if we have such a beautiful gospel what is it if it's if 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 the love of christ and the good news of what he's done is compelling then 
let's hear the compelling version. But if, you know, uh, so, so I suppose I, I, while I agree with you about it, you're just not going to preach them back in with something more clever, with something more shiny, with something, but um, hopefully whether they stay or leave, they'll hear, they'll have heard something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in my mind, of course, I'm thinking more, and kind of our evangelical mm-hmm. large and mega church structure in which, you know, the pastor often doesn't know. No, you know, no. And right? yeah. And sometimes folks, do, well, you know what my, one of my sponsors has, has said to me, it's like, Hey, are you done? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you're not done, go get done. You know, he's talking about like to the prodigal son. Huh. It's like, and, and then when you're done, come back, but I'm just, you know, just so you know, what's out there, here's my story. And then he yeah. told me how bad his story was. I'm like, Ooh. And he said, you know, you don't, getting done doesn't mean losing everything like I did. Um, hmm. So, but if you're not done, then repression's not going to help you either. You know, right. like, <laughs> right. So. Yeah, that, I think that's really helpful. And I think, yeah, I was again, thinking Eugene Peterson, the, you know, mm. shepherds you know the flock by name and that kind of like, yeah. uh, how do we help people with those stories if we don't know, right. Who they yeah. are or, or, what their story is or how to walk with it through them beyond just a Facebook post that says, come back to church. That's yeah. I to be to be a Christian. I can't understand how that would work. Um, maybe there's a kind of structure where, where home groups really work, you know, and that kind of thing for, for me, uh, I remember when our, we were building a church, we, God was building a church, I suppose. <laughs> and I, we got to like 120. I'm like, Hey Lord, could you bring in, could could we bring it up to 200 and the sense i had was like why huh and i'm yeah. like well i don't know because <laughs> that would be a good number it's like why would that be a good number do you know everyone's name yeah in the one to, well no so you want 80 more people to who are poorly shepherded is that what you're saying i'm like well no it's like what, what do you really want i'm like uh, with 200 we could pay all our pastors properly well then ask me for the money don't ask me to bring in any more people to neglect yeah Yeah. (laughs) and and, um so uh, personally um you know i'm in my best my my best uh best what does best mean yeah i think the most fruitful fellowship i'm a part of is a group of um never never more than 20 well, can't build a church like that. What do you, well, what does that mean? <laughs> right, right. Um, there's no, there's no church textbook on how yeah. to make a church of 20. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. But what we could do is like read our holy books and pray and tell each other our story. And, and that's what I'm seeing is like real communion. Yeah. I have a quick story about that just from this morning. So I have a friend who's, he attends an evangelical church. He is very frustrated because the preaching in his church has become more and more heavy handed with a special emphasis on like, we've got to preach harder about sin and righteousness, holiness and hell, you know, that kind of thing. And it's becoming really oppressive to him and he's saying i love this community but i don't want to leave and and yet i'm feeling like i i kind of need to leave because this is driving me crazy and i'm like well you know 
if you love your community, stick with it. And you don't have to be right all the time, just as your pastor doesn't have to be right all right. the time. Let the let that go. And what but he said, you know, in contrast, he's in a recovery group. Um uh, where not everyone's a Christian. And this last week he went into a panic attack and his tight, his chest tightened up and he started hmm. to have very severe, severe pain around his heart. You know, he's getting really worried. And instinctively he, uh, he, he, during the, during the panic attack, he reached out to one of the guys in his group. And then the guy says, look at, um, I want you to, so they're just on the cell phone. He says, I want you to take your hand and put it under your shirt onto your heart and he said, okay and then the guy says now i want you to pray this repeat after me god i know, i believe that you love me and you have a plan for my life so he prays that he says okay now do it again god i believe that you love me and you have a plan for my life okay do it again god i believe that you love me and you have a plan for my life and his chest just started to loosen up and the huh. panic lifted off now here's the wild thing the guy who the guy who led him in this prayer is a muslim and a Muslim addict <laughs> and, and, um, and they had a grace encounter. They had real presence. They had presence in community. The kingdom of God was there, right? Yeah. In, in the experience of a, of a, of a living connection, a real, a healing encounter through a guy that this fellow's church says is going to hell. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So deconstruct that, right? I, right. I think that is what's going on there. It, 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 it's a deconstruction of the, the boundaries we set on the grace of God. It's a deconstruction on the who's in and who out question on the hostilities we have for the other, all of that stuff. So I just love that stuff. I, I collect stories like that and I'm glad oh, yeah. fresh ones all the time. I, yeah, that's, I think that's amazing. I, I, definitely challenges those who might think that you have to believe the right thing in order for God to act. Right. Yeah, or, or, or even pray to the right God. It's like, well, d does anybody, but like, there's a God listening who cares about us. And if you get his name wrong, he's, he's still the only one in town. So <laughs> like, he may as well be listening. Well, <laughs> like, so. yeah, but don't you have to believe perfectly and rightly about that God in order for that God to listen? Right. Like I think, yeah, that how'd that work for me? No, it didn't work well for me. <laughs> no, yeah, me either at all. Um, that third group, right? So we'll we'll get to the happy clappy group, um, and and maybe speak to those who might find themselves in that camp or have at least done that, uh, that kind of clap for someone's deconstruction. Mm -hmm. Um, what what do you say to them? Right, like what? How do we talk to someone who? For whatever reason, of course, my platitude was, you know, there's the happy clappy who are, are still hurting from their own deconstruction, and they mm -hmm. actually like to see others deconstruct because there's solidarity and that others pain in their deconstruction. Yeah. But that's not all the happy clappy, right? Like, I mean, I don't want to narrow no. down one thing, but no, that's true. Um, uh, so I would say, I would say a lot of the, a lot of that comes out of, um, um, some of it, it's it, it's solidarity in one's own pain, but another could be like um, maybe they did experience real liberation and they want that for someone else. Yeah. So I'm like, right. why are you cheering about this? Tell me your story. Oh, okay. Because my pastor did this and my church did that, and I'm like, well, 
and you and you left and what's that feel like for you to leave it's like oh i feel like a thousand pounds came off my back okay mm. well no wonder you're clapping and then i just say but you you know then i tell them i i tell them like when happy clappy evangelicals um did that yeah it, it didn't feel good all the time and so can you recognize that that some people who hear you clapping you feel like that to them still they're yeah. they're in trauma and or they're lonely or they're feeling darkness of alienation and and so let's remember let's remember to be empathetic so i, I would appeal to i would appeal to them to be empathetic and i would also say um when i was you know, I was 26 years old. I'd only been, I'd been married for like two years and I get thrown into a youth pastor job and I'm supposed to do marriage counseling. Oh gosh. <laughs> I had no business effing with anybody's right. <laughs> marriage. That's like, that's like inviting a plumber in to do heart surgery. And so then I'll suggest that as well to the happy clappy guys. It's like, like when if someone's been seriously traumatized we don't want to bring a plumber yeah to their therapy session and like think about your qualifications to speak into the life of someone who has ptsd uh, have you really been trained for that and and, and we, but i just want to cheer them on it's like okay yeah let's find a way to cheer them on without being the plumber who's doing the heart right surgery. um and one example of that was, you know, a, a person like this, it's like, they're, they're just, well, okay, it might have been more like their own trauma, too. It's like, they're just encouraging people to throw it all away, including their marriages. I'm like, that's the solution now? Hmm, that right. all marriage is oppressive. And so you should just encourage people to follow their hearts and abandon their children? Yeah, so what? I'm right. You know, like that's kind of crazy. So I, uh, for them, I, I, I'm wanting to appeal to empathy. I'm wanting to just slow them down in terms of what they <laughs> should be saying, and maybe um, simply be mindful. But I, I really do feel like some of those are happy clappy because they experienced liberation, and yeah. I, val and I want to validate that. Yeah, I, no, I think I love that because you know I think about the evangelical Pentecostal church mm -hmm. coming to liberation from their, you know, someone's sinfulness and that kind of feeling that can come from this, this feeling of salvation, this feeling of being freed. You know, I, I think Chris Green and I, we, we converse about this quite a lot is oftentimes that same tool that happens in that moment is the same tool that's used in the deconstruction liberation. Yeah. Right. Cause it's liberation. <laughs> right it's it's so uh william james talked about this a century ago in in his book uh, varieties of religious experience and he just said like it's so amazing to see that a conversion is a conversion it's a sociological psychological experience where someone going from atheism to christianity and someone else going from christianity to atheism can be having the same experience right <laughs> and it's like just recognize that's an actual dynamic and um and there's ways to do that that are healthy but there's also ways that it just can blow up so i, I want to learn and and share what i've learned yeah about, about being merciful in that moment 
and, and I think it's really important too to, to note what you did, which was this idea that, you know, there are right tools and people for a right job, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've had countless college students of mine come to me and want to close the door and say, you know, I need help in, in X, Y, or Z, right? I've got these issues. And and even though I'd taken multiple Christian counseling courses as required of these ministry degrees and the like, 95% of the time, I would just say, hey, we've got a great counselor on campus. Here's the mm -hmm. link. Let me help you set up a time if you want to. Let's yeah. help you there. Because I, I, I can't tell you. I cannot give you tools to fix this. But that only came after how many failed attempts I tried to help someone through something and then realized I was utter crap at it, right? Like I had no idea how to help someone who was suffering through, you know, uh, one example was, you know, one of my students who had lost a brother to suicide. Mm, yeah. I, well, I have nothing to give as much as I have to say, I care for you and I'll be here with you. But I can't, which is, I can't a, fix which is a lot to give. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but I can't give you the magic time. words or, or I yeah. can't even give you tools to help you when you're going through these emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I just feel like if we as people of the body of Christ can get that idea, we'll be much more, I think, helpful to people altogether. Mm -hmm. uh, but we will need a lot more counselors and therapists in the world. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. Right. Um, so, any anything else? I mean, we we got to wrap up here soon. But before I let you go, as you're writing this and you you're kind of you're processing so much of of your own experience of kind of this pastoral concern, what surprised you, if anything, really as you're writing this? Did you go I, this this has helped you yourself in processing deconstruction or kind of getting out of deconstruction or whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Um... Well, I think that the most surprising thing wasn't necessarily a helpful thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I started digging into my own story, I mentioned that aspects of my deconstruction were involuntary and traumatic as well. And revisiting that um, w was more painful than I thought it would be, hmm. despite some years behind me on it. And some of the, uh, you know, the the bad voices were were present and and so then um so i'm like well i'm i'm going to write it anyway you know hmm. and then um and then when responses started coming in from the book the the thing that matched with that is over and over and over um people were saying this is like unbelievably raw it's there's aspects of it where so they used the word vulnerable I, I probably heard that 20 times in the responses and I'm like, mm. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> um, and, and I suppose then, and that just scared me more because now it's like, Oh no, I've been vulnerable and all these strangers are reading this stuff. And, <laughs> um, but what I guess the helpful thing in that is the power of vulnerability. Yeah. And, and if you want to empathize with somebody who's going through deconstruction, then um, part of the listening process is being vulnerable with them to invite their tender parts forward to hear some mm -hmm. good news and to experience some mercy. And I, uh, towards the end of the book, I realized just like, I, I don't, I don't know if this is good. 
And the sense I had from the Lord was just like, you, you're, you're not done paying forward the mercy you've received. And I, uh -huh. and then I start recognizing all, all through the painful aspects of this, there were messengers of mercy. Yeah. Who came alongside me at the right time with a listening ear and a kind word and people like my wife who didn't give up on me. And, and then it's like all of that, all of that, pay that forward. And even if yeah. that means paying it forward with uh, your, your vulnerability, that's scary to you that you're like, that's what I'm asking. And if it all blows up, it all blows up, you know, <laughs> okay, that's me. <laughs> but, but, um, um, so yeah, that was, that was surprising. And so that's my answer to that, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, I, which I think is, uh, I don't want to say a great teaser for the book, but to some degree, I mean, it's mm. made me even more curious, right? As I already told you, you know, I, I confess that I had not yet read the book, but coming through my dissertation, I'm not reading any books right now. I'm letting my mind. Well, I'm know. grateful that you'd let me share about it anyway. That's, that's very kind. Well, it is on the list. So it is going to happen when I probably in the new year after defense, cool. I'm going to pick up those. Um, Brad, where can people a buy the book but then also kind of follow along with you and your journey as you're writing and processing still yeah um so they can find me on social media i have a website bradjersack at dot, uh, dot com and then but i'm also on facebook instagram and twitter for now we'll see you know um and then as far as finding the book um just it'll be in the catalogs now. So if you prefer a local store, you can ask them to order it and they should be able to find it. But if you like online shopping, um, you know, you can get it all on the, uh, on the online stores, including, um, you know, it's on Kindle and audiobook now as well. Huh. Uh, so audible has it, I think iTunes might have it. And uh, Boyd Barrett did the narration and he knows my heart thoroughly. So I know mm. people like to have the author read, but Boyd is not disappointing anyone, including me with his narration of it. Huh. When he, you'll hear my emotion in him and it's his real emotion too. Uh, he connects with me at that level. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that sounds fascinating. Maybe that's my middle ground is the, yes. the <laughs> you can just go to sleep to it and then wake up and you're <laughs> half done right? <laughs> so. what is that uh osmosis right i'll just kind of listen to it enough and eventually i'll get it right it works for me yeah <laughs> brad thanks so much i, I don't i want to say and i hate to put you on the spot for this but i do want to have you back sometime in the future mm -hmm. and then and and have a whole podcast on what to do about hell because uh, I think in your last podcast, we talked more about God and about kind of rethinking about God. This one, of course, more about deconstruction, but I still want to to go there because I think that is such a big part of uh, so many people's deconstruction, maybe even the start for a lot of people. Oh, so I'd, I'd love, love to, to do that. That's a really, that's a good one. Um, I think that'll, and maybe cause some people to deconstruct. I don't know, right? Like, uh when you start asking those pertinent questions. Yeah, just even asking what the Bible actually says about it is deconstruction. So I think we should do that sometime. Yeah. I'm happy to. Wonderful. Well, I'll definitely, you know, offline shoot you another email and uh, probably here in, you know, the new year and we'll figure out a time because I think a lot of people would be interested. But again, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being flexible with your time too because I know I threw you off a little bit uh, with changing the time today. So thanks for thanks for doing this. It all worked very well. Thanks so much for having me. We'll see you next time.
Yeah, we'll talk to you soon.